Today is Thursday, January 17th, and this is Perspective from Politics NC. My name is Kirk Kovac. I'm here with Thomas Mills. How are you? Today, we're going to touch on a couple topics that have been in the news recently. First and foremost, Thomas, could you please unpack as much as you can what's going on in the 9th District? Yeah, I think the 9th District is what's got everybody's attention in North Carolina right now. In fact, it's got everybody's attention in Washington, D.C. right now, uh, since it's the last undecided congressional race in the country. And I think we'll probably end up seeing a new election. We're, we're at the point where we're starting to get into the courts. I think uh, Mark Harris, who was a Republican who ostensibly was the winner by a little less than 1,000 votes, um, has asked the courts to require the Board of Elections to certify his win. Uh, the Democratic Party has pushed back and said, no, we can't certify his win, and they've got pretty good justification for that. There's, there's almost no question that there was rampant voter fraud in Bladen County, probably Robinson County. And there's also no question at all, since he admitted it, that Mark Harris himself hired the guy who uh, committed the fraud or, or perpetrated the fraud. And so we can't certify a guy until we know whether he, he may well be guilty of a felony. And we'd be kind of foolish to, to certify a guy that was on his way to prison, wouldn't we? Right. Well, it's hard to serve out your congressional term from a jail cell. But that was uh, the McCray Dallas is the guy that uh, allegedly orchestrated this whole thing. Right. And, and I, I would I would point out one distinction I saw a lot back in December when this first happened is the difference between election fraud and voter fraud. Exactly. Because when, when we talk right. about voter ID and, and the prohibitive measures that sometimes get passed, it was not voters themselves, you know, like choosing to cast fraudulent ballots. It was this harvesting process, and people's votes were either changed or discarded. That's right. And 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 uh, yeah, he 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 went and collected ballots, and and it, I mean, what it looks like he may may have done is decided which ones to send in, which ones not to send in, and maybe even fill had people fill out or filled out. Uh, ballots on Mark Harris's behalf, and uh, you know that's that's pretty serious fraud. Harris apparently, according to a, a Republican in Charlotte, told people that uh, that um, Harris recommended Dallas because he liked his process. Well, the problem with liking the process is in 2016 in the Republican primary. Uh, a candidate named Todd Johnson hired Dallas, and Todd Johnson got like 250 uh, mail-in votes compared to uh, Harris and Pittenger, who were his opponents in the primary, who only got like 12 or 13 apiece. So there, there was clearly fraud back then, and uh, you know, it's part of what we need to know is how how long they knew about this fraud going on and why nobody caught it. But, again, Mark Harris knew that this guy was doing something that looked pretty shady and, and hired him and recommended him. So I think you've got a big problem uh, doing anything with this election until we know what Mark Harris knew and when he knew it. Right, and I think the 
Charlotte Observer had had mentioned that some of his aides told him, you know, we don't want to hire this guy, and and Mark Harris went out of his way to hire him because he knew what he had been up to. Right. And I think um, when I talked to Professor Bitzer, he made a point of um, specifying how good North Carolina is on keeping the data right. about this because that's the only way you could really have known this was going on if you weren't in that county is seeing, like you mentioned, the crazy numbers for mail-in ballots against incumbent congressmen in a primary, just numbers that don't make sense. So do you think moving forward, I think the big question, I think it's a foregone conclusion there will be another election as congressional Democrats get involved with this. But do you think Mark Harris will be the nominee for the Republicans again? Because they'll have to have a new primary, won't they? That's my understanding. They'll, they'll end up having a new primary, and and I think Republicans won't win. I I don't know if Harris. I think Republicans will throw Harris over the over the side. I, I don't think they want him to be the nominee, and uh, I think it'll be. I think Dan McCready will run unopposed for the Democratic nomination, or or have token opposition if there's any, and then Republicans will try desperately to put somebody in there besides Harris that they think is more electable. Um, and and the problem I think is this thing's going to get drawn out, and we may may not see this election happen until next fall. Right. And do you think if it does happen, you know, like late this fall or prior to the twenty twenty elections, that it will be of national focus? Like oh yeah, that Connor Lamb election was. I, or that right. I think off. it will be. I, I think it'll be it'll be one that ha- everybody's watching. Um, you know the the. The, the thing that makes everything uncertain, though, is whether that district ends up getting thrown out before the special election ends right. up happening because uh, it looks like the court's going to hear these, the Supreme Court's going to hear some of these cases. and uh, we, we may not have the same districts that, that they just ran in. There's so many moving parts to this. So um, I'm sure there will be uh, new information on this by the next time we sit down and talk. So we'll definitely stay engaged with that. The more recent story that's been all over the news reflects Chapel Hill and right. the Silent Sam controversy and now Carol Fult, the chancellor, leaving and Margaret Spellings having decided to leave a little before her. So could you go into more detail just about that whole situation with the university? You know, the the Republicans and, and the legislature have put in place a board of governors that wants to micromanage the university system. Historically, we've left the, the management of the university up to uh, university president and the chancellors of the individual universities. These guys want to get down in the weeds. They're like the General Assembly. They're a reflection of the Republicans in General Assembly who decided that they wanted to micromanage the uh, the towns and counties, you know, uh, everything from trying to steal people's water supplies to to restructuring um, municipal elections, to, to making elections partisan that were nonpartisan. The, the Board of Governors is doing the same thing. They, they're, they're telling everybody how to run their campuses. And I think what you've got is a situation that's very hard to work for. And, and the bigger picture here is they went out and recruited Margaret Spellings, who, who was a... a George Bush's Secretary of Education. She was she was she was a a star 
um, hire. They, they thought they had struck gold, and clearly she can't work with them. Carol Fultz leaving because basically silent Sam. These guys are trying to micromanage her campus, tell her what she can and can't do. I think Fultz's biggest mistake was she didn't get rid of silent Sam when the whole controversy came up. She should have just gotten rid of it when, when the protest showed up and said that it, that it was unsafe for the students to be there, and it probably would have died down. Instead, she waited and prolonged it, and she did it on her way out the door, and now she's been uh, uh, told to leave by the end of the month. And again, it's a reflection of a board that is going to make it make it very hard on themselves to find anybody who's going to want to replace Fault or Spellings or anybody else. And I've heard there's rumblings about uh, chancellors in other universities, and and they've done irreparable damage to the reputation of the university system. And what they've done now is they've put themselves in a position. They're saying we don't know what's going to happen to Silent Sam. If they stick Silent Sam back up, they will have been erecting a monument to white supremacy. And if you if they do that, watch for boycotts and other things just like HB2. Um, these people are politically tone deaf, and they're playing to a political base that is not the majority of North Carolina and certainly not uh, in the spirit of, of moving forward and, and kind of the... Uh, uh, open, um, progressive state that we've been known for. And I don't use that term as a political term necessarily, but North Carolina had a stellar reputation until we saw Republicans start governing North Carolina. And as someone who was there on campus while this unfolded, I think there was a lot of undue criticism of Fultz specifically because it was the legislature that really enacted all these laws because the law regarding the statues not being taken down that was in the wake of the charleston that's right massacre and that's, that's right. an important you know tidbit to mention to people it wasn't always the case that these statues were untouchable right i mean it, it was kind of stunning to watch actually i mean what happened was in south carolina we had a massacre at, at that charleston church by a white supremacist and the reaction, the, the South Carolina legislature reacted by taking down the Confederate battle flag, which had flown out on the grounds of the state capitol. And that was led by, by a Republican-controlled state legislature. And it was a very courageous act, or, or, or it, was, it was the right time to do it. But you saw a lot of people reflecting on where we are as a country and what needed to happen, and they took it down. The, the North Carolina General Assembly... They didn't respond to the massacre. They responded to the removal of the flag by quickly enacting legislation that protected Confederate monuments. Now, I'm not saying we need to go pull down every monument, but if a town or city or a county feels like that, the, that, that it's time to remove a, a monument to the Confederacy, they should be able to do it. University of North Carolina should have been able to take down Silent Sam without a ton of controversy. Silent Sam, regardless of what his origins were, and I think they, they, they were dubious to begin with, but regardless of what you want to say his origins were, he, he's outlived his usefulness. You know, we, we should not have the first statue you come to as you enter the university campus to be a, a, a monument um, uh, honoring the Confederate dead. 
or Confederate Confederate soldiers. Uh, that, that, that was not appropriate. It should have come down a long time ago. Well, I, I think a, a big aspect of that as well is these conservatives in control of the government ought to follow their own ideology and say, let's give control of local issues to local governments. Right. And it should not be the role of Raleigh and the legislature to tell a town like Chapel Hill what to do with property in their town. Now, granted, the university's state property, but still, if Chapel Hill doesn't want that statue, it ought to be up to Chapel Hill to take that statue down. Right. And, and I think they're about to remove a marker to Jeff Davison, Jeff Jefferson Davis Highway, uh, which is in Chapel Hill. I'm sure that'll go over well. That'll go over yeah. well. Yeah. Well, talking about the legislature, in just a few days, I think less than two weeks, they'll be back in town for the 2019-2020 session, and they look a lot different than they did when they left. They did. They and did. Uh, that's good news. So what are you looking for in this upcoming session Obviously, the supermajorities for Republicans are gone, and that's the biggest difference. So right. now that Democrats have a bit more leverage and the governor has more leverage, what are you looking at to happen in the next session? I think it's going to be really interesting to see what exactly what does happen because you've got a lot of people, you've got a lot of newcomers in the caucus in both the House and Senate and uh, on the Democratic side, and they're going to have to get up to speed pretty quickly. And one thing they're going to need to understand is that their role is not to pass legislation. Their role is still going to be to stop bad legislation. You know, they're not in a majority. You don't pass bills until you're in a majority on any sort of major level. Um, but I think what you're going to see, I think there are a few things that are going to happen. If you read uh, speeches, Phil Berger and I think Tim Moore both uh really came out with a more uh, um, welcoming view, talking about bipartisanship, trying to get some things done. I think they understand that, that Roy Cooper's hand is now a lot stronger than it's ever been. And he has the power now, as long as one of the two caucuses can hold their members together, Roy Cooper has the power to stop most legislation coming through the General Assembly. And uh, I think they're two big issues to watch. And I, I just said that they can't pass legislation, but I think uh, they're le they're actu it's actually legislation that has broad support from both parties. I, I think you're going to see a push to expand Medicaid. And, uh, you know, Republicans know that there's a ton of federal money that they're leaving sitting on the table. And as much as their rhetoric may say they're against it, in reality, most of them are for it. I think if you had the right kind of bill put out there, uh, they, they, they're going to try to probably require work requirements or something like that. But uh, something's going to come down the pike that's going to be some sort of compromise that's going to expand Medicaid. It's going to give a lot of people insurance. It's going to bring a lot of money into the state. And it's going to be good for the state overall. There'll be a lot of anger and yelling and screaming around the details. But in reality, it'll it'll something's going to get through as imperfect as it may end up being, that'll be better than where we are today. The second thing I think you're going to see is a push for gerrymandering. And the thing about gerrymandering is if you put a bill on the floor today, it would pass both the House and the Senate because members of both parties realize the system doesn't work and that it's broken. 
it's bottled up by the Republican leadership, who ironically, Phil Berger sponsored a bill to uh, introduce a nonpartisan redistricting commission. If they'll let that go through, if those two things would happen, we could really make progress in North Carolina. And uh, um, I think the nonpartisan redistricting would start to build trust in both the legislators themselves, um, but, but also start to restore some trust in the system. Um, I, I think Democrats who think that a nonpartisan redistricting commission is going to somehow give them a, major, a majority are, are, are mistaken too. I don't, I don't think it. I don't think it's some sort of panacea. I think you're still going to have a, a, a closely divided legislature um, that that may end up still tilting Republican because there is a, for real a geographic problem Democrats have in that we are in much smaller areas. Uh, we're, we're more concentrated in urban areas. Um, but I, I think it, I think it would start to restore some faith in our democracy. And I think that needs to happen. I think it would also have a moderating effect on who gets elected and in turn, what legislation gets enacted. Because if you have, like you said, just because the districts are drawn in a more fair manner, doesn't mean Democrats win all of them, but it means you have competitive races in districts where sometimes Republicans win, you know, by 50 points or they don't even have an opponent. So you can have more, even in districts that are Republican leaning, the representative is more representative of that area. It's not some super far right guy or anything like that. So I think that would have a good effect on the government as well. I I agree. I think that's right. Well, the only other thing that was on my mind is I've seen a lot of talk from some columnists about this pipeline thing with the governor. And there's been a lot. It's been their hobby horse, it seems, for a while. So I wanted to sort of try and flesh that out a little bit, see what your thoughts were on it. Well, I've been trying to read up and and follow what the Republicans are saying about it. And I think... uh, they are in search of a scandal. They want so much to create some sort of problem for Roy Cooper. They're doing whatever they can to get his numbers to come down. Cooper's an incredibly popular governor right now, and they do not want to be running in 2020. And they've latched onto this, um, you know, in, in part because the pipeline apparently comes through some land that his family owns in, in uh, Rocky Mount. The problem with it is, is I don't think there's any there there. I mean, I I, I spent some time reading a column this, uh, this morning, and, and at the end of the day, I couldn't quite figure out what the accusations were. Reminds me a lot of Benghazi. A lot of accusations, a lot of smoke, but there's really no substance to it. And, and I think that's what you're going to find with this pipeline, is there's just nothing there. Um, you know, they, they make a lot of innuendo, they make a lot of kind of veiled accusations, but nothing makes sense. I, I, think it's, I think what you've got is you've got a bunch of Republicans trying desperately to find something to attack Cooper on, and they're not having any luck with it. Um, I think they'll keep beating the pipeline um, drum, uh, in, in part because there are Democrats who are not real happy with the pipeline being there. So I think what they're hoping they can do is somehow strike a chord where they can get 
environmentalists who, who don't like the idea of the pipeline coming through uh, to, to come out against it. And then you've got kind of a bipartisan coalition against it. I don't think it's going to work. I mean, <laughs> the really ironic thing about all of this is the whole the whole fund thing that, that they're, 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 they like to call it Cooper's uh, slush slush fund. Um, the deal with, with, with a lot a lot of that fund with, the idea was is that you were gonna you were gonna give access to the pipeline to local governments and municipalities and there was going to be money to help them tap into it. Well, the Republicans went in there and shot themselves in the foot in those counties and basically took away economic development money and told them they had to put the money towards schools. Now, I'm not opposed to putting money towards schools, but if Republicans were so enthusiastic about schools, they should have been funding them all along. And uh, Not when it's convenient. Not, yeah. not Right. And, and um, now what you've got is you've got a bunch of Republican in, in these counties that are upset because they can't, they're lacking access to economic development funds in areas that have been struggling for 25 years to recover from from trade deals and tobacco deals and all kinds of things that have that have harmed rural North Carolina. Um, so you know, at, at the end of the day, I think the the bigger scandal is is taking money out of the pockets of uh, out out of the pockets of, of local governments and county governments that desperately need some economic development tools that don't have them because of the actions of the General Assembly. Right, and I think the salient point that you made there is that Roy Cooper is unnaturally popular as North Carolina governors go, and it seems like this is just a line of attack against him to try and bring him down a couple notches before the election in 2020, which is certainly going to be very competitive and expensive, but it'll be interesting to see if any new information comes out on that or if it's just some of the same tired talking points that have been circulating the past few weeks. Yep. Well, is there anything else you wanted to talk about today or cover everything? I, I think that's covered most of it from my standpoint. All right. Well, this has been a good episode, I think, so far, and we will get back with a new one soon. Thank you very much, Kurt. Thanks. Thanks.